This is a Rooster Teeth production. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a supplemental episode of Black Box Down. We're doing something a little a little different today. Normally, you know, uh, in our regular episodes, we analyze aviation incidents, things that have gone wrong and how the industry's learned from them. For this episode, we decided to take a little step back and uh, we're going to talk all about airspaces. I think we've mentioned airspaces in just about every episode, but never really gotten into detail what that means. So uh, sit back, listen, and uh, let's let's learn a little bit today all, all about airspaces on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this uh, special extra episode of Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris. Hello, Chris. Hi, Gus. We're going to talk all about airspaces today. It's a uh, something that uh, that we've we've been adjacent to and kind of talked around, but never really talked in depth about. We've been in the airspace space, but we haven't directly. <laughs> <laughs> very very good, Chris. <laughs> One caveat I want to give at the top is that a lot of the talk we're going to be doing is specific for airspace in the United States. The airspace can work differently country to country. Like the rule, the specific rules can be different country to country. So the rules you hear us talk about are are specific to the United States because, well, we're in the United States. And uh, <laughs> I think a lot of the incidents we talk about are here uh, in the United States involving American carriers. So it's the one we're most familiar with. So I don't know if you ever think about this, Chris. When, uh-huh. you, when you fly in or out of an airport, airports have different classes and different spaces around them and it varies depending well <laughs> there's no exact yeah. science to it but a rule uh-huh. of thumb is it very it varies depending on how busy they are okay the busier an airport the more restrictive the airspace is obviously because there's going to be more planes flying in and out of it right off the bat I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you what the different classes of airspace are okay. in the united states there's class a class b class c class d class e and do you know what's next a b c d e f f Wrong. There's no F. It's class what? G. Oh. <laughs> what? There's no class F. I don't. I don't. I don't know why that Wait, is. Wait, what? Yeah, it's A B C D E G. What? Yeah. <laughs> I Chris, thought I, I messed up the alphabet <laughs> for a second. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's not your fault. There is no class F airspace. It's A B C D E G. Is that because they don't want like F as in failed? Like how some hotels don't have the floor thirteen. The thirteenth floor. I have I have no idea why there's no class F airspace. I always thought it was weird that it's just kind of skipped. And typically the as as a rule of thumb, the way it goes is how can I phrase this? The lower the letter, the more restrictive it is. Like let's say class A is the most restrictive, class B is slightly less restrictive, all the way to class G. Well, class E and G are are weird, but they're the they're the least restrictive out of all the classes. Okay. So th- when you say lower, as in like closer to the start of the alphabet? Right, exactly. Okay. So I guess we'll start with class A. Class uh-huh. A is a, a, a weird one. So class A airspace actually is not anywhere around an airport. It's not anywhere close to the ground. Class A airspace, you, you can think of it as like cruising altitude. Okay. It's any airspace between 18,000 feet and 60,000 feet above sea level. And that's where flight levels begin. You know, we talk about sometimes about they were at flight level 290 or flight level you know, mm-hmm. 310. Like mm-hmm. that's class A airspace. That's where flight levels exist. So that's just, that's not like for land. That's just for flying around, not any sort of procedures, right? What do you mean? Well, you say, so it only, it all, it's only like above what you said, 18,000 18, feet mm-hmm, sea level. Yeah. So it's just people. Yeah. It's just people going straight line mostly. Like yeah. For the most part. Destinations. Yeah. It's like, Think of it like a highway, right? Like 
you know, yeah. you, you, you do all your turns and your surface street, you know, at the lower altitudes and you get up high and that's when you're going like your long distance, you're cruising. And you have to be IFR rated to enter that airspace. So you have to have like an instrument rating. So it's like a lot of instrument flying, you know, you're relying oh, on your okay. instruments to, to get around up there. So if you don't have the proper instruments, you can't even go up there? Correct. Your plane has to have IFR capabilities to go up there. That just means you have to be able to, you know, be able to fly by instrument and not have, you know, be able, even if it's totally obscured, you still have to be able to fly. So like the getting personal view, the one that like the plane that you fly or in our training, is that IFR certified? Yes, it is actually. Uh, you can do instrument flight on it. But that being said, like I do all the training, like on little Cessna 172s, mm-hmm. they can't get up to 18,000 feet. Oh. So while technically they have the appropriate equipment to enter Class A airspace, mm-hmm. they can't actually get high enough to enter Class A airspace. Okay. So that's a good question, actually. So that's Class A. And uh, Class A is also interesting because a lot of, you know, we talk about altitudes, right? Like I said, it starts at 18,000 feet above sea level. Yeah. You can think of altitudes in two separate ways. I bet you've never really like thought about this. There is your altitude above sea level and mm-hmm. there's also your altitude above the ground. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Right, it's, it's two yeah. totally different things. So like, for example, in Austin, when you're on the ground, like let's say you're at the Austin airport. Yeah. At the ground, you know, you're obviously, you're, if you're standing there, you're zero feet above ground level. But you're like 500 feet above sea level, is that it? It's about 600, yeah. 600, but you're okay. about, but still you're about five, five, 600, somewhere in there, feet above sea level. Austin Bergstrom is 542 feet above sea level. Okay. So that, you know, for the most part, it doesn't matter. Uh, but, you know, it will become, it is very important when you get low to the ground and you want to make sure you're not hitting anything. The reason I bring that up now is because, I, like I said, Class A airspace is where flight levels begin. We always talk about these flight levels. The altimeter that you use in a plane is, like if you're using the old-fashioned kind mm-hmm. that relies on pressure to determine what your altitude is, it can be affected by the weather. So, okay. you know, I'm sure you watch the weather and they're like a low pressure system's moving in or there's high pressure in this area. I actually don't watch the weather, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Well, for people who keep up with the weather, uh, you have to make adjustments to your altimeter to make sure that it accounts for oh, any changes yeah. in the weather. So when you get to flight levels, like we've talked about these flight levels mm-hmm. so many times, you actually stop adjusting your altimeter. You set it to a standard barometric pressure of 29.92. Hmm. And that's how a flight level is defined. Like once you reset your altimeter to the standard pressure, then at, when that altimeter reads 18,000 feet, that's flight level 180. It's just to kind of standardize it. That way you don't have to worry about like, oh, what if the weather's different from different areas as you're traveling uh, up in class A airspace? I'm, wait, so wait, you set it to 18,000 feet based upon, but, but 18,000 feet is still standard across, right? So here's, here's the deal. Again, if you're sitting in a small plane at mm-hmm. the Austin airport, right? I said it's 542 feet above sea level. Yeah. At the altimeter, there's a little knob that you adjust that corrects for the pressure because of the weather outside. Mm-hmm. Standard pressure is 29.92 inches of mercury. Okay. But if there's low pressure in the area, there might there's, there's less air pressure, your altimeter will read a different number than 542. Okay. Or if there's high yeah. air pressure, it'll be different. So you have to adjust the knob to what the current pressure is outside. Yeah. So once you enter flight levels in Class A, you don't worry about that. You just set it to like a standard 29.92 and you like that's what it will read from now on. Okay, so you don't adjust for the weather is what you're saying once Correct. you get up there. Okay. Correct. And, you know, we've talked about ATIS before. One of the things the ATIS broadcast that pilots listen to is what is the current pressure so they can adjust their altimeter. Okay. And and that's just because when you're up there and you're traveling that fast, it doesn't really make sense to constantly adjust the altimeter for the right. air pressure? Like, uh, I would say, you're, you know, you're probably not going to 
hit anything. So a yeah. difference of 100 or 200 feet isn't going to matter. You're not going to hit terrain. Mm-hmm. Also, it standardizes it because since yeah. you're going so fast and presumably like using the highway analogy, you're going so far, you're going to be crossing different weather systems and different yeah. pressures. It's like just standardize it. Don't worry about it up there. Once you get lower, that's when you start worrying about yeah. it. Yeah. And that way everyone has the same reading. So they're all, the, they don't end up, well, I thought I was at 1800 and I thought I was at, yeah. So they don't bump right. into each other. They don't hit each other. Exactly. You bump into it. each other's taking it very lightly. <laughs> that, 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 that sounds nice. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So that's class A. It's way up. The, and the, the weird thing about class A, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about in a bit, like I said, it goes from 18,000 to 60,000 feet. Class A ends at 60,000 feet above sea level. It ends at 60,000. Is it? You can't fly that higher, higher than that, right? Unless you're like no, com- a- commercial planes don't fly that high. Yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. But there is a, a little caveat I'll, I'll give you later uh, about that. Okay. So the next one, of course, is Class B. Class B airspace surrounds the busiest airports in the United States. Okay. Do you think about, like, for us here in Texas... Dallas and Houston. Mm-hmm. Those are class Bravo airspaces. And Austin isn't a... Austin is not, no. Ooh. I did a little bit of research for this, actually. Uh-huh. So there's 27 class Bravo airspaces in the United States, and this is the 27 busiest airports in the United States, more or less. Yeah. Austin is the 32nd biggest airport Whoa, by passenger... close. Yeah, by passenger activity. So it, 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 it's, it's not quite a Bravo, but it's, 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 as, it's as busy... As some of like the smaller Bravos, you know, it's, it's up yeah. there. It's, it's close, you know, it might be, could it be reclassified sometime soon? If the, tra- like, you know, it, I know we're adding in more, um, more runways and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's possible. It could get you reclassified. I don't think, you know, there's not any current talk about that. I don't know how that, I don't know how the FAA determines how that process works, uh-huh. but yeah, it's feasible that eventually one day it could become a Bravo. And we've talked about the upside down wedding cake before. We talked about this yeah. um, in a couple of episodes. That's that's a way you can think about Bravo airspace. Closer in to the airport, it's, it goes all the way to the ground. And then as you get a little further away from the airport, it's not quite all the way to the ground. Mm-hmm. So at the airport itself, it goes from the surface to 10,000 feet above sea level. And then it expands as you go further out. So like yeah. I'll look at, you know, Houston, for example, right? Intercontinental. Right around the airport, it's Bravo from the ground to 10,000 feet. But the next rung out from that goes from 2,000 feet to 10,000 feet. So the ground to 2,000 is not Bravo. Okay, yeah. And then the next rung rung out from that is 3,000 to 10,000 feet. So it's like it's slowly like stair steps Mm -hmm. out. And then the the furthest rung, like if you're coming from Austin, uh, going there is that uh, 3,000 to 10,000 feet if you were like approaching from the northwest. Actually, actually, there's a 4,000 to 10,000 as well. The highest donut or highest wedding cake ring is only 10,000 feet? Yeah, it stays at 10,000 and then it like from the ground up, it stair steps up there. So so what's the space in between A and B? B goes up to 10,000 feet. Uh-huh. Oh, I see what you're... And then A starts at 18,000. So yeah. you're asking what is between 10,000 and 18,000 yeah. above that. We'll get to that in a second. Okay. There is airspace for that. We, we, we will get to that. That's a really good question, Chris. I'm, <laughs> I'm proud of you. So Bravos are, are pretty restrictive, right? Yeah. If you're going to enter them, you need explicit permission from air traffic control to enter that airspace. Okay. Like if, you know, we've talked about air traffic control. When you're on the radio, you have to tell them, you know, you're coming in, you want to enter, and they have to explicitly tell you clear to enter the Bravo. Okay. If you don't get clear, explicit permission to enter, that's like an airspace violation. You get in a lot of trouble for that. Okay. Yeah. 
That makes sense. And they got to be restrictive about it because, you know, these are the busiest airports. They want to mm-hmm. make sure that they can track every single plane. You have to have, you know, some of the technology we've talked about before, like ADSB. They have to be able to track you and see exactly what altitude you are and, you know, <laughs> tell you where to turn and, you know, maneuver all the planes around to, to make sure it's safe for everyone. And one last little bit of trivia about Bravo Airspaces that our uh, producer Dennis pointed out to me is that the Bravo Airspace around uh, SeaTac Airport up in mm-hmm. Seattle is shaped like a football field. Oh. They're, so they're not always like perfect circles. Sometimes they mm-hmm. have uh, weird shapes to them. And the one in Seattle uh, has a has a very unique shape. I mean, that, it makes sense that they would vary some. Yeah. I mean, they got they got to vary depending on lots of times depending on terrain and how you know how planes are going to come in and whatnot and other airspaces in the area which we will get to and talk about and then there are some like you know again going back to houston because it's so close to us houston actually has two very busy airports i was talking about intercontinental before but they also have hobby down in south houston Mm -hmm. and both of those are bravo airspace airports so the one for houston looks like a giant circle on the north side that has like a smaller circle you know kind of overlapping it like a venn diagram on the south side oh so you do uh, run into weird airspaces like that that are pretty complicated. Another example might be like Chicago's pretty circular, but that's also a weird one because they have, you know, O'Hare, which is a huge Bravo, and then Midway, which is a smaller airport that sits under the Bravo hmm. that you have to be careful to navigate. Uh, and Mid- Midway is not a Bravo, though. Midway is a Charlie, Class C airport, just like Austin. Okay. And these are, you know, smaller than the Bravos, but they can still be pretty busy. Like you said, Austin Airport's really busy. And typically these are usually circles these are you know uh, uh, just like a big circle and then a smaller circle in the middle and again they're they're, they're like an upside down wedding cake but only two layers they're not as stacked mm. as the bravo is it's, <laughs> it's a lot easier you think of them like they have like a big circle of a 10 mile radius and then the smaller circle on the inside which is a five mile radius yeah that's, that's a little cake yeah a small cake and the inner five uh mile radius cake uh usually is a Charlie from the surface to 4,000 feet above the ground. And then the outer one usually is 1,200 feet above the ground to 4,000 feet. Okay. So not, not nearly as big as the Bravos that we were talking about before. If, you want, if you're flying and you want to enter these, you just have to have two-way communication. Like the air traffic controller does not have to tell you explicitly you are clear to enter. They just oh. have to say your tail number. Just, they just have to acknowledge that you exist and that you're talking to them. Okay. So as long as they, they're like, even if they're like, like, let's say you're flying, Chris, and, mm-hmm. you know, you're like, I want to come in to land at Austin. And if they just tell you, Chris, stand by, they've talked to you, even though they're telling you to stand by, they've talked to you and they've acknowledged your, your tail number, you're, you're okay to enter. So you can enter the space, but you can't yeah. land yet because they said yeah. stand by. Right. When they're telling you stand by, that's basically being like, we're too busy to talk to you right now. We acknowledge that you're trying to talk to us. We'll, t- we'll call you back in just a sec. Okay. Whereas like in the Bravo, if they tell you stand by, they did not explicitly tell you you're clear to enter. So you cannot enter. Mm. And these also, you know, you have to have two-way communication and uh, you have, they have to be able to track you. Uh, again, so, ADSB. Yeah. So the proper equipment to be tracked. Right. So ground control, do they, every, they like sensors that as soon as someone enters that whatever proximity is, it picks it up? Yeah. I mean, they have, you know, radar that extends quite a bit. So like we said, you know, in, in the Austin example, right, it's mm-hmm. a Charlie that extends 10 miles out from the airport. You have to talk to them and they have to acknowledge you before you enter that 10 mile area. But, you know, their radios and I mean, they can talk to you for miles, probably 30, mm-hmm. 40 miles. Okay. So usually in the case of Austin, I have the most, like I've been training here in the Austin area. Like you said, I have the most experience with Austin. Usually there's a note on the map that says to contact them when you're 20 miles within the airport and you're going to, you're going to be landing at the airport. Okay. So 
they, as a courtesy, you want to let them know within 20 miles, but then as the law, you have to let them know before you get within 10 miles. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I read you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm clear to enter. <laughs> so the next one, uh, also the next less busy airport would be a class D or class Delta. These are much smaller airports. Like, do you know where Austin Executive Airport is here in Austin? No, but I assume it's one for like private planes. Yeah, it's like a little private field. It's off of uh, the toll road off of 130. Okay. Like um, kind of northeast of town. Yeah. Closer to where the we are studio spaces or where the old airport is, huh? Yeah. If you like head out a little northeast from there, it's not too far. Okay. So class Delta goes from generally from the airport surface to 2,500 feet above the ground. And they have a radius between four to seven miles. Another example might be like the airport in San Marcos. Okay. And in order to enter, you need to, again, you need to establish two-way communication with air traffic control. And lots of times, these smaller Class D airports Mm -hmm. can sit under busier airspaces. Like they can sit under a Bravo or under a Charlie. So it's very important that you maintain the correct altitude so that you're in the right airspace and you have the correct clearance for where you want to be. Remember I talked about Midway earlier? Midway's mm-hmm. a Charlie that sits under a Bravo. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing where you have to be very careful about your altitude to make sure you don't bust into the wrong airspace that you're not supposed to be in. And they can overlap, is what you're saying. They yes. can like, okay. And some of these uh, Class D airports, like I mentioned, Executive, their traffic control there, uh, they don't have a radar. They, they, oh. they <laughs> you have to tell them where you are and they're looking out the window at the planes <laughs> wow. to see where they really? are. Really? Yeah. They don't have, a, how do they not have a radar? It's not as busy, you know, and if you're it, like, you have to talk to them, right? It's part of the requirement. You have to establish communication and they just like keep track of where you are. Yeah. It just, it just seems weird. I feel like radar is one of those, it's one of the earliest ways to keep track of planes, the oldest technology. So I would think that every air traffic controller would have it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not, it, they're not super busy. You know, it sounds mm-hmm. scary, but it's not, it's not honestly that bad. Like, you know, for example, you know, when, if you're flying around a class Delta airport, uh-huh. like let's say you're practicing your landings and you're just circling landing and taking off and landing, you know, you have to tell, like, they can see you obviously when you mm-hmm. land, when you take off and then they'll tell you like, you know, report when you're midfield. <laughs> so after you take off and you turn to come back down and try land again, you have to tell them when you're at midfield. I mean, they can look out and see you and they'll be like, mm-hmm. all right, you know, they'll tell you like, okay, you're clear to land or there's going to be another plane before you and then you can land. So if they don't have radar, what what do they have? They got their eyes and they got binoculars. That's it? They don't have like any tool? I mean, they, they might have paper and pen. Or, well, or, or, or computers now, right? They yeah, have computer. <laughs> Honestly, for that kind of thing, I'd probably rather just have a paper and pen, honestly. Uh, there's some times where, like, if I'm, you know, taking a lesson mm-hmm. or I'm flying, I, I, don't, I like a paper and pen. I like having it just to jot things down real quick if I need to. Yeah, your handwriting's better than mine. No, my handwriting's, <laughs> my handwriting's terrible, Chris. I'm not going to no, lie. Oh, Gus, but it's better than mine. <laughs> so it sounds scary, but it's honestly not that bad. And these are smaller airports, like I said, you know. Okay. Austin Executive, which you've never even heard of. Yeah. Uh, San Marcos, which, you know, is a smaller town. These are Really pretty small airports. I think I've heard of San Marcos because Dennis mentioned about flying to San Marcos. So I assume, mm. well, there's got to be an airport there. You know, I've never flown down to the San Marcos airport. Um, you haven't? No, no, no. They have a couple of runways and they intersect. I should do that sometime. Maybe I'll do that next week. Yeah, so that's a that's a class D airspace or Delta. Okay. This episode of Black Box Down is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep Skip trips to the grocery store, count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. 
HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than dining at a restaurant and is even cheaper than grocery shopping. That's money back in your pocket. HelloFresh's newest menu releases include Mediterranean recipes that are filled with fresh fruits and veggies, nuts, olive oils, and fiber-packed whole grains for a nourishing balance. Uh, HelloFresh chefs really know how to diversify your dinner menu with seasonal spring recipes like sweet heat shrimp tempura bowls, garden spinach ricotta ravioli, and one-pot creamy lemon dill chicken soup. HelloFresh has actually been, uh, they, they've, they've really turned me on to dill. I've been using it a lot more lately. It's, uh, it's uh, I feel underutilized. I love how quick it is to put together a meal from HelloFresh. It's also super easy. I'm a dum-dum in the kitchen. Uh, the instructions are all super clear. They give you exactly what you need, exactly how much you need. Uh, there's no waste. There's no question about do I have the right thing? Do I have the right amount? It's portioned perfectly. Uh, it's like a little fun experiment that I get to do when I'm done. I get to eat it and it's super great. Uh, and I feel accomplished. So go to HelloFresh.com slash BlackBoxDown16 and use code BlackBoxDown16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash BlackBoxDown16. Use code BlackBoxDown16 for up to 16 free meals and 3 free gifts. That's BlackBoxDown in the number 1 and the number 6, just so you know. And again, this podcast is brought to you by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with the go-to person to help negotiate a hostage situation in Syria when no other intelligence agency would help. When you have a hostage negotiation, especially in a war zone, the first thing you have to do is tell the parents to stop doing something that they want to do and that every schmuck under the sun is telling them to do, which is to seek public support, right? To get public statements, to do Facebook campaigns. What just happens with that is your price went up before you even started a negotiation. You do not want to drive up the perceived value of the hostage. Sometimes people are taken hostage just for the shock value of executing them. What you're going to do with the campaign that you're doing right now is going to get your child or your spouse killed. How is pissing off the people who hold that person's life in their hands helping you? By the time I get involved, it's usually too late. To learn all about the nuances of negotiating with criminals and human traffickers, check out episode 617 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. So the next one is E. Mm -hmm. Class E airspace, my instructor told me, you can think about Class E as being everywhere. Uh, Mm. So it's any airspace that's not Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, or Delta. It's E. So in most areas, Class E extends down to 1,200 feet. Uh, Mm -hmm. above the ground but in some instances it can extend down to 700 feet above the ground or even all the way down to the surface okay and it can extend all the way up to 17,999 feet 17,900 so everything that's the in between because yeah remember that's where alpha uh, class a starts at 18,000 feet yeah so if it's not that that's it's classy and then remember how you asked what happens above Mm -hmm. 60,000 feet oh it goes e again it goes e again oh so air traffic control of course has authority over Class E airports, but if you're flying in Class E airspace, you don't need to talk to them. You don't mm. talk to anybody. You can just fly. Oh. You know, it's, that's why it's just kind of everywhere. If it's not, you know, one of these other controlled airspaces we're talking about, it's Echo and it's just all over the place and so you can, you, you could just fly. If you're flying Class E, mm-hmm. you, you don't need to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. How, do you have radar to see if there's another plane coming and you just like, you, you don't need use it. The, you don't even need Chris, it. Chris, you don't even need a radio in Class E. What? Yeah, you don't need anything. You just need to play. Yeah, you, you don't have to talk to anyone. You don't have. I mean, you can just you can just fly. You could. I, I could go up in a in a balloon chair. Um, there's of course there's going to be. Spe- I, I I can't speak to the specific specificity of a balloon chair. Uh-huh. But like, let's say you have a small plane. Yeah. And the radio doesn't work, and you don't have ADSB, and you know all it does. All it does it has a propeller and an engine and a wing. You uh-huh. can fly. 
and classy. Wow. Well, that's... you need a license, of course. Uh, that's yeah, why that... I can't speak to the balloon chair. But mm. yeah, you don't have to talk to anyone. You could just take off and go. That's wild. It seems mm-hmm. like there should be some system to be like, yo, let, let me know where I'm at, you know, or here's where you record your flight. That's wild. If you think about it, um, there's, it, it seems scary and it seems weird that it's unregulated, but there are good use cases for things like this. Mm-hmm. For example, if you think about crop dusting. Okay. Like you don't necessarily, you know, like that, that might be just like a farmer with a plane in his barn who just needs to go up and spray his crops. He's not going very far. Why would he need, he's just gonna be flying over his own farm. Why does he need a radio and radar to just, you know, visually look and spray his crops? his or her crops. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's a holdover from things like that. Okay. Where, you know, you want to have some flexibility where, you know, people who might need a, a quick flight over their own land or, you know, if to go, if someone owns a lot of land and they want to fly from one end of their ranch to another end of their ranch, right? They can do that. But that's also like drone territory? Drones could fly in that. Like you think about like a, like a hobbyist drone, right? Mm-hmm. They would fly in that kind of space. Except, of course, if it's not in a Bravo, not in a Charlie. Yeah. Uh, no, not around an airport. There's 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 restrictions on that. But yeah, classy, very, very hands-off approach to to flying in that space. Do you think that could change uh, with in the future with more drones? And I know this hasn't happened, but remember like Amazon had that thing where they were showing drones delivering packages left and right. If things in the future pick up where there are more flying things that the classy could change? Um, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's pretty... Low, right? Okay. Like we said, it it can extend down. So it can extend down to 700 feet or 1,200 feet above the ground. So there is one other airspace we haven't talked about yet. And I think what you're talking about right now is a good segue. Mm -hmm. That's the last airspace, class G airspace or class golf. So if an airspace is not A, B, C, D, or E, then it's golf. So golf is what lies below class E. So class E starts... It can start at the surface, but it can also start typically at 700 or 1,200 feet. Yeah. Okay. Because you said, it, I, th- I think you, I thought you said E could go all the way down to the surface, it, right? It can, but not always. Usually okay. not. Okay. Usually it's either 700 feet or 1,200 feet. And so G is more drones. Right. And- so yeah, G is going to be even lower. Maybe G stands for ground. Like the ground, <laughs> you know, like closer to the ground. And they're like, F, what is, F? I don't know. I've heard it also referred to as like, Go. It's like, it's, it's also fairly unrestricted and class G is typically around non-towered airports and air traffic control has no authority over this airspace. So again, 700 feet above the ground, 1200 feet above the ground. This is also like crop dusters type territory. Mm-hmm. Balloon chair. Balloon chair. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, since it's so close to the ground, you know, planes typically aren't going to fly super close to the ground just for safety purposes. Mm. So that's why, you know, this this kind of airspace exists. But this kind of airspace does also exist around the smallest airports. Like even smaller airports would be um, like a class G airspace. Like, for example, uh, again, this is this. These are these examples are all very specific to central Texas because that's where we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for example, uh, down in Lockhart, mm-hmm. the airport there is a is a class G airport. Mm. So they don't even have a cake. They, they have they they, they kind of do. It's like a circle, but it's it's really it's it's like one layer. It's the simplest cake. So, but how's it G if it's it's from the ground up to seven hundred feet above the ground, and that's it. Wait, that's their cake or the G? That's the that's the G. That that is their cake. So their cake is only G, right? And it's only one. It's only one layer. There are there is no stair step to it. It's just like a single 
cylinder. But how is it a single cylinder of G, but then everywhere else is also G? There's not like... Everywhere else is E, remember? Oh, okay, yep. (laughs) So then it's G there and then E everywhere else. So then class G sits typically... Remember, like you and I, mm-hmm. like let's say we're in the middle of nowhere, from the ground to 1,200 feet above the ground would be G. Mm-hmm. But then when you get to an airport like that, like Lockhart, if you're sitting at Lockhart, from the ground to 700 feet above the ground is the G. Like it kind of dips down. It's weird. I know. I don't understand why it does that, but that's just the way it works. Okay. But then you go out a few miles and then it goes back up to 1,200 feet. And then it's echo over there. Okay. It's weird. It's just one of those things you got to... You, you start memorizing. I think in my mind, A, B, C, D are the ones that make the most sense. Mm-hmm. E and G, there's like, why is that? It, I, I'm sure that the FAA has reasons for that, but like, it's just kind of the thing I just memorize. I'm like, all right, it's weird, but whatever. Yeah, it's a, little, it's a little weird. Yeah, and each of these airspaces has their own minimums for VFR flight. And that's the kind of training that I'm doing right now. This is the kind of training, like when someone first starts flying, they have visual flight rules of flight. Uh, That's like, you don't have to use your instruments. You can just kind of look around and, you know, fly by sight. Okay. So for B, Class Bravo, you have to have three statute miles of visibility and you must remain clear of any clouds. So obviously, once you go into cloud, you can't see. So you got to stay out of clouds (laughs) and you have to have Mm -hmm. three miles of visibility. If around B. Yeah, in, in Class B. In Class C and D, you still need three miles, three statute miles of visibility, but you need to remain 1,000 feet above the clouds or 500 feet below the clouds, and then 2,000 feet away from the clouds horizontally. So you kind of have to have these, uh, these different clearances. Where mm-hmm. in B, remember I said, you just have to stay clear of the clouds. In C and D, there's specific feet requirements to stay away from clouds. Okay. And by the way, three statute miles is really not very far. <laughs> I know it seems like a far way to see, but when yeah. you're flying and you're in a plane, it's like, oh, that's not very far at all. Yeah, because you're going several hundred miles an hour, right? Yeah, we're in like a small Cessna. You might be going like a hundred. It's not super fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've flown like in five miles of visibility and being like, oh, yeah, that's plenty. I was like, oh, no, wow, you really can't see very far at mm-hmm. all. When you get up high, you know, you normally you can see really far. Uh, your visibility is really restricted like that. Anyway. In class E, when you're below 10,000 feet, you have to have three statute miles of visibility. You have to remain 1,000 feet above the clouds, 500 feet below the clouds, or 2,000 feet away horizontally. Same thing as I said before. But when you're above 10,000 feet, you have to have five miles of visibility, and you have to remain at least 1,000 feet above clouds or 1,000 feet below clouds and one mile horizontally away. So the the distance becomes a little greater. You have to see further and you have to stay further away from clouds above 10,000 feet. When you say you have to, you have to see further, but how do you have, con- how, how do exactly do you control that? You have to look at the weather. Okay. Like a, a weather report. A weather. And, yeah. And it has to say you have, you know, X, you have to have five miles of visibility. And we've talked about ATIS before. You get your weather from mm-hmm. the ATIS mm-hmm. along with, you know, your, whatever your altimeter setting is. There's a lot of information there that you need to pick up. There's nothing else that can improve. I mean, besides the weather, there's no other factor that, affects visibility not really like if the weather's hazy or foggy or there's clouds like that that's all stuff that affects your visibility one thing that i thought was interesting when i started you know taking these lessons and learning is that Mm -hmm. you know you would think that on a calm day that the weather's the best and that like that's really like a beautiful day for flying Uh when the when the winds are calm your visibility goes down because the wind isn't there to blow away any dust or pollution oh 
So like it just kind of settles where it is and it really reduces your visibility. That's like that day, for example, I told you when I had five miles of visibility, uh-huh. it was a very still, calm day. I was like, oh, it's going to be beautiful. No, <laughs> the, the wind Ooh. was not blowing anything away. Everything was just like sticking in the air. Oh, that's gross. But it's really gross. It's really gross, Chris, <laughs> like flying around and you look at you look at the city of Austin. You're like, oh, we're all breathing that. Ugh. Oh, man. That's disgusting. Windy days are, are better because they have better visibility. So so it, all that, fall, is it just like pollution? That's that's it? Pretty pollution much? or dust that might be hanging in the air, mm. but it, it's a lot of pollution. Then like the VFR requirements for class G during the day, you have to have one statute mile of visibility. That's insane, Chris. <laughs> uh, and you must either remain clear of the clouds or a thousand feet above the clouds, depending on your altitude. Uh, 500 feet below the clouds and 2,000 feet away horizontally. So the cloud distance is about the same. But the thing with class G during the day is you only need one statute mile of visibility, which is so low. You can almost fly in any weather, right? Yeah. Uh, with that visibility? Pretty much. Yeah. You don't need to see very far at all. That seems scary to me. I Personally, I would never do that. I would never fly mm-hmm. with one mile of visibility. But at night, you have to have three miles of visibility and the same cloud requirements. Okay. So that, that's like a broad overview of like general airspaces. There are, of course, other like special airspaces mm-hmm. that you need to be aware of when you're flying. Well, like not as a passenger, it doesn't matter. But if you're a pilot, like there's other special airspaces you need to be aware of. And, you know, as you said, Chris, PLA, pilots love acronyms. My instructor taught me to remember all of these special airspaces using the acronym McPron. McPron. Yeah, M-C-P-R-A-W-N. Sounds like a Star Fox character that's also a fish. <laughs> or, I mean, a, a prawn. <laughs> like some a, kind of a, shrimp. A yeah. shrimp. A Star Fox shrimp character. McPron. And uh, I'll just kind of, like, quickly give the names and then maybe talk about them a little more. So the M is military operations area. C is controller firing areas. P is prohibited. R is restricted. A is alert. W is warning. And N is national security. Mm. So you see, there's a lot of like military and and like security things you need to be aware of. Military operation area, it's an MOA. It's an airspace with defined vertical and lateral limits established for the purpose of separating certain military training activities from IFR traffic. So whenever there's an MOA being used, non-participating IFR traffic like civilians may be cleared through an MOA if separation can be provided by air traffic control. So you can fly through a military operating area if air traffic control clears you to go through it. Okay. Because obviously the military is not constantly using mm-hmm. it. So, you know, if air traffic control knows that it's clear, you can get cleared to go through an MOA. You can actually go through almost all of these. And so military doesn't have to clear it or it has no. to be cleared from military, but... Air traffic control will clear you. You don't have to talk to the military. You just have to get clearance from air traffic control. Does air traffic control have to talk to the military? Yeah, no, normally the military will let them know. Okay. So you don't worry. You don't worry about talking to the military. Like that's happening on the back end. Okay. The next one, the C, is control firing areas. It can contain activities that, if not conducted in a controlled environment, could be hazardous to non-participating aircraft. So you could think about, like, bombing training or, like, Mm. artillery training, stuff like that. So the difference between CFA and other special-use airspace is that activities must be suspended when a spotter aircraft, radar, or ground lookout person indicates an aircraft might be approaching. There's no need to chart CFA since they do not cause non-participating aircraft to change its flight path. So you can go through these. And if they're using, if they're doing an activity that might be dangerous, they're looking for planes. And if they see a plane, they'll mm. stop their activity. Okay. So it's just like an area you need to be aware of, but they will see you before, you know, any potential danger. P, prohibited. 
Prohibited areas contain airspace of defined dimensions within which the flight of aircraft is prohibited. Such areas are established for security or other reasons associated with national welfare. So like the area around the White House mm, yeah. is prohibited. There's a really small prohibited area west of Waco because that's because where George Bush has his ranch. Oh, I, oh, I thought you meant because of the, the, the branch divisions. Yeah, because it, like, it, it was, uh, yeah, that makes sense. No, no, so the, the, the Bush ranch is out there. So prohibited, gotta, Wait, you can't go there. Anywhere that a former president lives becomes prohibited. They have like a like a, a umbrella of prohibited. <laughs> Not necessarily. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, presidents live in cities. I think this one's a special case because it's a ranch out in the middle of nowhere. Like uh-huh. if a president lives in a city, you're not going to land a plane there. Yeah. But a ranch, you know, there you could conceivably find a spot, a clear enough spot to put down a plane. Yeah. And there's like, there's you don't have a reason to be over here. So right. it's far enough away that it, right. they there's, can do that. Without exactly. It. Okay. R is restricted. Uh, this is where operations are hazardous to non-participating aircraft and they contain airspace within which the flight of aircraft, while not wholly prohibited, is subject to restrictions. Activities within these areas must be confined because of their nature or limitations may be imposed upon aircraft operations that are not part of those activities. Restricted areas denote the existence of unusual, often invisible hazards to aircraft like artillery firing, aerial gunnery, or guided missiles. Generally, you're not allowed to fly into restricted areas, but if you call the agency that controls the area, they can allow you to fly through if they deem it safe enough. So restricted, you can think of like there might be air-to-air combat training Mm. or missile tests things like that. Uh, it's restricted for that purpose. Again, you can get permission to go there if you call them ahead of time and tell them, you know, when you want to go and yeah. what you're going to be doing. You can get cleared through. If they're not using their, the space at the time, they'll tell you, yeah, it's fine. But in general, if you not, if you haven't talked to anyone, you do not want to go in there because, you know, if they're doing, like I said, yeah, the fighter jet training, they're going so fast and making crazy turns, it would be extremely dangerous to enter that space in a civilian aircraft. Mm-hmm. A, the next one, alert. Alert areas inform non-participating pilots of areas that may contain a high volume of pilot training or unusual type of aerial activity. Pilots should exercise caution in alert areas. All activity within an alert area shall be conducted in accordance with regulations without waiver and pilots or participating aircraft, as well as pilots transiting the area, shall be equally responsible for collision avoidance. Again, it's another kind of like training, military training area. Mm-hmm. You just want to avoid it. A lot of these are sound very similar. And from like a private pilot perspective, it's just like, dangerous be careful yeah. you know uh, the military or whoever's using these areas has specific things that they're doing in there that you don't necessarily need to know about all you need to know dangerous call ahead yeah, yeah. Uh, don't enter without permission w warning area it's similar in nature to restricted areas however the united states government does not have sole jurisdiction over the airspace a warning area is an airspace of defined dimensions extending from three nautical miles outward from the coast of the united states containing activity that may be hazardous to non-participating aircraft the purpose of such areas is to warn non-participating pilots of potential danger. So again, just another warning area, but specific or like another be careful area. But specifically, the U.S. might not have sole jurisdiction over this space. Like I said, it goes out over water, mm, okay. or like off the coast. And the last one is N, national security area. Uh, these consist of airspace defined by vertical and lateral dimensions established at locations mm-hmm. where there is a requirement for increased security and safety of ground facilities. Flight and NSAs may be temporarily prohibited and prohibitions are disseminated via NODAMs or like notice to air missions. Pilots are requested to voluntarily avoid flying through these depicted areas. So again, it's a government thing. Don't go there. If you look at the airspace around Washington, D.C., it's filled with special mm. areas uh, yeah. of all of these. Well, that makes sense. I have a question. Yeah. What about like the area around an aircraft carrier or something like in the sea? Well, I mean, you're out 
presumably like international water, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is no airspace. Like I said, these specifically we're talking about is airspaces in the United States. Yeah. If you were to start flying close to an aircraft carrier, they would probably contact you directly and tell you to go away. That if you don't, if you get within a certain range that they're going to shoot you. Oh. Uh, and again, like they're in the ocean, presumably in the middle of the ocean. I don't know how you would get out there, like in a private plane, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, maybe as they're getting close to land. Uh, yeah, you, if, yeah, the rule of thumb is if you see an aircraft carrier, turn around and fly the other way. Do not get <laughs> anywhere close to that, okay. you know. Same thing probably with just about any military naval vessel. You don't want to get too close. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to talk about here, we're almost done, is uh, TFRs. These are temporary flight-restricted areas. Mm. And these are used to create safe airspace over events or important people. Like, for example, if the president's giving a speech somewhere, there'll be a TFR that, hey, you can't fly here. They also pop up over events like football games. So like here in Austin, when, Mm -hmm. you know, the college team, the Longhorns are playing football, a TFR will pop up over the stadium. You can't fly there. That's cool. Same thing with like the soccer stadium when the soccer team's in town and they're playing a game. Can't fly there. And this kind of shuts down not only planes but also drone activity yeah that makes sense it'd be cool to see like a little visual like representation of like the the space above like the ground like changing colors and stuff and like (laughs) yeah if you have like you know when i fly i have like a little ipad that Uh has maps and whatnot they they pop up oh really uh yeah and you can see them to show you like for example i'm looking right now there's a tfr just east of town because of uh parachute jumpers oh so it's 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 a temporary jumper. I wonder what that is. Not like a well. These are these are parachute. That's actually a parachute jump area. I'm looking at. That's not a TFR. Oh, okay, that's my bad. Okay, there's a that's a, there's a TFR up by southwest of Waco mm-hmm. because there's um, SpaceX has a rocket test facility there. Oh, that's active right now. What is today? That's actually not active right now. It's going to be active. Oh no, it is active right now from the surface to 2,000 feet above the ground. Okay, so you can't get below 2,000 feet out there because spacex is testing a rocket that's cool uh yeah so it pops up on there and since september 11th tfrs have become much more common Mm. there's a number of incidents where you know pilots will go into a tfr and then you know they're going to get investigated (laughs) they might get their license suspended it's because it's the job of a pilot to be aware of tfrs and not get into them but that's it i mean there's there's obviously a lot more to this i just kind of wanted to give a broad overview of airspaces that exist in the united states like we said there, there, there is much more to it, but that's like the general airspaces, the special airspaces and TFRs. I think all this stuff's super interesting. Yeah, it's super, it was super interesting. And it was like a, in retrospect, that was kind of like a school lesson, but like a fun <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Uh, if you like the kind of things, I mean, I'd recommend if you have the chance, you know, and if you have the ability, um, you know, look up more on it and read on it. I, I think that I think it's super fascinating the way yeah. that all of these systems exist to um to keep everyone safe yeah but that's it for this episode of black box down uh don't forget to give us a follow on social media at black box down pod facebook instagram twitter check out our link tree we got some great merch and we'll be back in two weeks with another supplemental episode yeah and tell tell a friend or uh, a relative how about a weird uncle or a cool friend whose name starts with a b c d (laughs) e and g but no f's don't tell anyone whose name starts with f (laughs) All right, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.